Hi, my name is Jim Lewis. And my name is Chris Painter. Welcome to Inside Cyber Diplomacy. Between the two of us, I think we know almost everyone involved in cyber diplomacy. And the idea behind this is really to have frank conversations with those leaders in this area and bring that to the rest of the world, this new area of diplomacy, and talk to these leaders about what's going on. Our plan is that you'll hear things on this podcast that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Frank, not scripted, direct conversations. Hope you like it. I know we will. So please listen in. Congressman James Langevin of Rhode Island uh, is a member of the House Armed Services Committee and chairs the Cyber Innovative Technologies and Information Systems Subcommittee. He is one of the four congressmen appointed to serve on the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. He co-founded the Congressional Cyber Caucus, still co-chairs it. He is recognized as a national leader on cybersecurity and securing technology and infrastructure. He's co-authored or authored dozens of pieces of legislation. I have known him since our very first Cybersecurity Commission. At this point, 12 years ago, and he is a true leader. Uh, His departure from Congress is a real blow for the Republic. He will be missed. And we're so grateful that he took the time to talk to us. So when you, let, I'll, I'll kick it off with a, I hope, a softball. When you look at the legislative agenda for the rest of this Congress, what, what would you want to see come out of it when it comes to cybersecurity? Well, definitely the, uh, the Joint Collaborative Environment, as well as the Bureau of Cyber Statistics. Those are the, kind of the, the two, uh, the two uh, big ones. And then the, uh, the technology centers, you know, that will help in terms of, you know, kind of vetting Mm-hmm. Uh, different you know, programs and that, that uh, would otherwise, you know, it's the critical technology security centers. So basically studying security of, of network technology, open source software, mm-hmm. and there's two others that they'll, that it will, that it will do. But those are the, those are the big ones, I think. So I, I, the Bureau of Cyber Statistics, Joint Collaborative Environment, and the, uh, the critical technology security centers, those are the, I think my my top three. There's, there's going to be a number of others in terms of you know, do some things on workforce development and, and that type of thing. Yeah, is this have... still a bipartisan issue? I mean, is it still pretty much everybody's on board? Yeah, everybody. You know, I I haven't seen anything in terms of really in terms of partisanship around it. You know, it's just there are you know there's differences between you know Democrats and Republicans about maybe some structure uh, or you know, you know, jurisdiction on things, but for the most part, it's been pretty bipartisan, you know, you know, just, you know, by way of example, you know, when we, when we finally got the um, national cyber director through, it was, you know, right up until the, you know, the end, there were difference between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, you know, we obviously had to work with Senator Rounds to massage some of the, you know, the, the, the authorities and, and, but we finally got there, you know, so I, I wouldn't, I don't put it in terms of, traditional partisan fights that we get into. I mean, I think the the only thing I, I've seen from the outside is it stayed mostly bipartisan with two exceptions, uh, you know, sometimes on regulatory issues, you know, standards of 
that's not just necessarily partisan. That's that's just a sort of ideological divide because it's not necessarily just on partisan lines. And the other has been uh, at least in the last administration when Russia came up, at least with some on the other side. So that 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 seemed to make it more partisan than it used to be, at least. Um, but that seems to I be. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that on the on the regulation regulation side. That's been that has been a you know traditional kind of divide or uh, a wall that we've hit between you know where the Democrats are, where Republicans are. That uh, anything that that looks like there's anything to do with regulation, it's you know there's been there's an opposition to it. Although incident reporting yeah. was it got it was an exception right, that we got through that, and incident reporting now is been enacted into law so that's that we, i was pleasantly surprised by that one to be honest yeah. that it actually got through as easily as it as it did i, I was surprised i mean I, I i told you before that i think i've been working on incident reporting when i was in the government for about 20 years and it was always frustrating it's it's just amazing that it's finally gotten through and you know long overdue and and uh hopefully that will really have a major impact one one thing you didn't mention was which i know you're also interested in and i know that uh mike mccall once of course, the uh, Cyber Diplomacy Act passed as well, uh, even yes. though state has made some changes. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. And I'm I'm thinking more along the lines of what we're going to get into the NDAA. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, <clears throat> and so that's that will be uh, outside of that. I, I think that at least I think it might be outside. The NDAA might be the vehicle again. But I, I have high hopes that we're going to get the Cyber Diplomacy Act through. So, yeah, I would put that as a high priority item. But the, you know, the, the, the other things I mentioned, I, I think are going to be well, the NDAA will be the, the vehicle for the other things, uh, JCE and Bureau of Statistics and the Critical Technology uh, Security Centers. But on you know, the other high priority item is the uh, the Cyber Diplomacy Act, and I I have high hopes that, that will that will get through. What do you want out of the Cyber Diplomacy Act? What would you like to see the U.S. government do, particularly compared to what it's not doing now? Yeah. So I I I wanted first and foremost. I want to institutionalize what the State Department has done with this new State Department, uh, newly established Bureau of Cyberspace and Digital Policy, because I want to make sure that no future administration can do to the the uh, the new <laughs> ambassador acquisition that they did that the previous administration did to Chris Painter and the office that he aptly and ably led. And uh, but, but you have to admit that was deserved. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's that i will not admit that no <laughs> i i i uh i lament that uh, that that was uh i lament you know chris's departure and the abolishment of that office and it's by the way it's one of the biggest examples i give both you know abolishing chris's position and also the cybersecurity advisor as the biggest steps back uh, among you know across a number of administrations where we had maintained forward momentum on on all these uh, on, on issues of cyber, and and that was the biggest uh, the you know disappointing setbacks on those two fronts. So we're going to make sure that Chris and No can do that to a future ambassador rank position. Well, I, you know, I, I should thank you now because uh, you know certainly you were always a big supporter of that effort, uh, and you know we really created that. We there are now many countries around the world that have similar offices, but you know I remember clearly when I was leaving state. The very one of the very first people that called me was you to say, you know, to express your concern that this was happening and, and what was happening with the position. And you were very active publicly about that. And, and the other side of the aisle was too. It wasn't just, you know, again, it was a bipartisan issue. It was just kind of a, 
inscrutable decision to get rid of those two positions at the time. But but yeah, I think more, more institutionalizing it makes a lot of sense, and hopefully that will that will happen. What do you think? Do you think that the um, the formula that they ended up with at state you know, once they you know finally get it all in place? Does, you know, that sort of mirrors the Cyber Diplomacy Act in many ways. Is that, uh, are you comfortable with that or do you think that that could be improved further? You know, I think yeah. it's great. It reports to, to Wendy Sherman at a high level yep. that's cross-cutting. Those were the issues I, I thought were the most important, but but how do you feel about it? So I, I, I very much like what the State Department has done in this new bureau that they've created. I think it's definitely a move in the right direction. What I, what I really would like to do is I, I want to preserve the, the structure of the, of the Bureau, though, um, uh, that allots for coordination of cyber diplomacy uh, across all areas of State Department remit. So th- it's, let's, you know, let's coordinate cyber uh, effectively. Let's not have it, you know, stovepiped uh, or, you know, diluted. I'd like to, I'd like to see it, you know, Work across the areas that it needs to work, but not get uh, and not get diluted or distracted, and with other you know, subject matter areas that you know, could be injected into it. So I'm I'm pleased with what they've done, and I pretty, a lot of it I want to preserve. Uh, and so and I, I think it's it's a, a real step in the in the right direction. So you um you served on House Armed Services as well. So how did that, what was the tension between the two? I mean, you, you did the cyber stuff, but you had the armed services perspective as well as the Homeland Security perspective. Well, I don't know that there were really any, a lot of, a lot of tensions that I would point to. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always the, there's always the divide uh, or the, you know, the, the, you know, this jurisdictional boundaries between what is in the realm of .gov, what is in the realm of .dot .mil, and you know when does uh, and what's in the, the the realm of the dot com world, the private sector? So you always have to we always have to balance those things. That's why you know both the work that DHS does as a critical interlocutor is really important. The work of now the new national cyber director in, in again working with both dot gov and and the uh, the civilian uh, government side, but also working with the private sector is really critical. And then uh, same thing with the uh, the, the military, so it, it's a balance, and so I think that we had, you know, good understanding of, you know, what belonged where, and we did our best, you know, to to meld uh, where we could, but you know, not overstep where we otherwise you know, would have caused jurisdictional problems. But you know, I think that we're uh, we're in a in a good place on on many of the negotiations and you know where we're we're heading right now. Now, I think one of the you know the big things on things like JCE, uh, that's going to be uh, maybe a bit of a challenge because it's, you know, working with the intelligence community and, you know, getting them to, to sign on. But, you know, we've structured in such a way that, that, you know, the intelligence community still has the ability to decide what is going to be shared. We just want to have common operating tools as to how it's shared. And, and so everybody understands and sees the, the information and the context in real time. So I know you've done some work with uh, Mark Montgomery on that. I mean, what? How will DHS actually make this work? Do you think? Yeah, I was. It'll it'll be housed. The JCE would be housed uh, within JCDC, uh, and I and I really think it helped complete JCDC in, in a lot of ways. And I give a lot of credit to Jenny Stilley and 
and her team uh, and the work that CISA is doing is still building capacity, which is, you know, which is a challenge and it's a, it's a resource issue, but we've gotten them, you know, quite a bit of money to build that capacity. Uh, you know, I don't want them to only have to always be, always be reaching back to and depending on defense support to civil authorities. Uh, and that's kind of what they've been doing up till, up till mm-hmm. recently. But again, they're building capacity and expertise and uh, that will be in, in, important. So, and, and they then become the more, you know, they bring to the table in terms of resources and capabilities, the, the more useful and benefit they are to the private sector. So that, that's why, again, going forward in the future, I think it's going to just be so important that we have a, a strong CISA expertise and resources and then can close coordination with the national cyber director as well. But I think, yeah, J, you know, the, the JCE will be housed within JCBC. And, and again, as long as we get an understanding of uh, what, the, what the role of JCE is and what authorities it has, how the information flows into it and it's melded and then disseminated, you know, we'll, I think it'd be a much stronger place in terms of where information needs to be shared, how and how quickly. And uh, I, I have to, you know, a lot of this was in a lot of ways the, the, the brainchild uh, of both Chris Inglis, uh, but uh, also Tom Fanning, uh, who represented you know, private sector critical infrastructure on the Slayer Commission. And uh, you know, having that real, you know, real time, you know, visual and understanding of of the cyber threats that are out there, and being able to share it quickly was just essential to going forward to protecting private sector critical infrastructure. So, so Jenna Easterly uh, recently announced at an annual event for the ransomware task force that we had um, that they were creating this joint joint task force, which was mandated by the legislation, but it, but did it in a very savvy way, where she said she was going to share, you know, her organization was going to share the chair with the FBI. Uh, so rather than compete with the FBI, that they were trying to make this a joint enterprise, which I thought was really smart, especially with Chris in place now at the White House. Do you see, I mean, my sense is in the last administration, it was every agency a little bit out for themselves. There wasn't a whole lot of coordination between what DOD and, you know, Commerce and State and DHS were doing. But do you see that improving substantially? That was one of the goals of the National Cyber Director. Do you see that trending in the right direction now? I, I do, I do. And I think that the, you know, the National Cyber Director would be a, a great and strong convener, getting everyone you know, at the table and hopefully pulling yours in the same direction. Having the budgetary review authority is important, although you know, I'd like to see that strengthened because you know, it, it's, it's um, it's not as strong as say what the Office of Drug Policy has, for example, as I understand it. We, so I want to be able to strengthen that a little more. It's, a, it's another incremental step, you know, in the right direction, but would have, you know, profoundly beneficial consequences if we can we can give that authority. Right, you know, right now. So the the, the answer to your question is yes. I think it's it's better in terms of how everyone's going to be pulling the arrows in the same direction. It begins to be able to help with that. Uh, NCD has a strong relationship with the director of CISA, so. That's uh, both, you know, for personal and professional reasons. I think that's really, that's really important. But you know, the, the by the way, you know, obviously NCD is still getting set up, still getting staffed up, and they've got a, you know, a long ways to go. You know, I think there's growing pains, especially, you know, between, you know, the uh, NCD and and what's in their lane versus what's in the Deputy National Security Advisor for uh, for cyber. 
uh, in their lane, and then same thing with what's in you know in Sis's lane. So, but I think those are those are easily surmountable, you know, growing pains that will be you know we'll all be better off for it once everything uh, matures. But you know, this is really the ONCD and that the position of NCD is just critically important to having now a, a, a chief kind of quarterback on the field that is uh, getting everyone to pull the, the oars in the, in the right direction. Is a, is a quarterback, though, I mean, you mentioned this, and I think a lot of folks have been, you know, aware of there's not a lot of clarity between what Ann Newberger does and what Chris Inglis does. I mean, they're both great people, uh, very mm -hmm. capable, but it seems to be very fluid. Sometimes it looks like, you know, Chris is more on the domestic focus and then and more on the international focus, but then sometimes it shifts. Do you think that will just work out over time uh, or do you think there'll be a more formal division? Yeah, I, I, I do think it will work out over time. Remember the, the ONCD uh, or the NCD is, is, is meant to be the, the, the focusing on cyber defense and, and uh, coordinating our defenses, strengthening our defenses, making sure that departments and agencies are, are doing what they need to do to strengthen their cybersecurity posture, making sure that the provisions in the executive order are, are, are implemented and call out departments and agencies when they're, when they're not. You know, the, you know, Ann's role and, and uh, it's much more operational, if you will. But of course, NCD has to be read into what's happening on the offensive side so that we can be prepared for blowback and things of that nature when you know, when we, we expect that there could be, you know, problems coming our way. And that's, that's that good communication between NCD and, and the Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber is, is essential. Same thing, good coordination with uh, NCD and, and CISA is, is, is important. Speaking of uh, offensive, one of the flurries that hasn't gotten as much attention as you might have expected was this well, let's put it, some of the way it was originally presented was the Trump administration had given uh, Cyber Command uh, a greater degree of independence to make decisions on actions, and the White House was trying to take it back. It, not clear how it came out. It looks like everybody got half of what they wanted, but what was your, what was your thinking on that? I, I was always a little uncomfortable with the previous administration's decision. But there are those who think it was a good idea. Yeah, and part of that may be because we're uncomfortable with the previous administration. I'll start there because <laughs> I had the discomfort. But I have to say, you know, I read uh, NSPM 13 and there was nothing in there that, that I found uh, really troubling. I thought that it was a pretty well thought out document. There was nothing that I found objectionable. Uh, I have to be honest with you, um, it took a long time for the administration to send that uh, that document over to Congress for for us to review, for me to review, and you know I sat there and I in a skiff and I read the document, and then when I was done, you know I, you know I looked at the guys you know who brought it over and I said look you know I know this isn't your decision but you know I read this and there really isn't anything that was I found objectionable in there you know. You know, carry the message back. You know, what was the what was the big deal about about sending it over? You know, I, you know, I think there had to be something in there that was like, whoa, you know, real red flag. That of course that's why they didn't send it over so quickly. You know, they delayed the 
you know, dragged their feet for so long, but I read it and I, you know, I, I thought that it was pretty well balanced. Uh, so, you know, I, I think we're in a good place on where it is and, and I think there may have been, you know, some minor changes uh, as I see it, but I, I think, you know, being more forward leaning, defending forward, I, I think is, uh, is the right strategy. I also say it maybe it's a good way to transition to also talk about your cyber command. And uh, again, that's on, it's in my, my wheelhouse that I oversee NSA your cyber command uh, on my, in my role in my in the subcommittee on uh, cyber uh, innovative technologies and information systems. And, and uh, a lot of the work that they're doing right now on the international front is uh, capacity building, working with trusted partners and allies uh, around the world, we did you know work with uh, uh, people in the you know the European theater, and it helped us to be better prepared in terms of uh, you know dealing with uh, Russia uh, when Russians invaded Ukraine under Vladimir Putin's uh, direction and unjust war, horrible situation. But I, I think that hopefully, perhaps one of the reasons why we haven't seen a lot of cyber activity of the Russians, which I know is surprising to many. Is that we were we were pretty well prepared and had done a lot of groundwork beforehand to protect cyber uh, networks of our of our partners and allies. Now, it doesn't mean there's not more yet to come uh, on, from the Russians, and I am concerned about Russian cyber activity and and, uh, and and what could be coming. But we have to be prepared, have to be vigilant. But I you know I give a lot of credit to U.S. Cyber Command for the work that they had been doing and and continue to do. So I was uh, writing this morning a little bit on, on exactly that. And one of the questions that I didn't feel like I could answer without more research was we, we, you could say that the U.S. and others did a good job helping the Ukrainians prepare for Russian offensive activities. How would you compare us when it comes to preparation uh, for dealing with it? So I know that you know, we've had uh, an all-hands-on-deck approach as well. Uh, and the CISA, by way of example, created the Shields Up program under mm -hmm. Director Jen Easterly's uh, uh, purview and her direction, and uh, I, I applaud that effort. And so we're we're trying to be as prepared as we can on the .gov side, but also working with our, our partners in private sector critical infrastructure to be ready uh, for any blowback and any, any cyber attacks you might see coming toward uh Either .gov or or, or uh, .com, uh, private sector critical infrastructure, and but again, have to be vigilant. I, I don't. None of us can say that this. You know, we're out of the woods. We know this stuff is not easy. It's very difficult. Uh, the Russians are that determined. They're A players, and they could carry out significant uh, cyber attacks or disruptions. And you know, we just have to be ready. They, of course, know that we have significant capabilities on our side. And, you know, we have the ability to impose costs just like uh, just they just like they do and you know hopefully that uh, that understanding on both sides will hopefully keep the peace and, and uh, prevent anything significant or catastrophic from happening well let me talk about that for a little bit because as you know a lot of the diplomatic effort has been trying to agree to rules of the road you know things that even Russia agreed to, not that they're necessarily abiding about it, but you know, Russia agreed to not attacking critical infrastructure when not at war, things like that. But nevertheless, they do it. Um, and many people, including both me and Jim, had said, well, you know, you need some accountability for that. When you violate these rules, you need some consequences. And we have not been good, I don't think, at least in my view, 
as a country in the past, nor has really any Western country been good at imposing those consequences in a way that might make a difference. And what was interesting among many things about the, the Russian attack in Ukraine, the unjustified attack in Ukraine, is that all the things we talked about as levers for cyber, like heightened sanctions, like taking them off SWIFT, kicking them off SWIFT, like um, you know other kinds of economic and political moves we would take, we used for Ukraine, which made sense. But it also illustrated maybe the toolbox is not that big. So, so how, if at all, can we influence Russia's activity in this area in the future so they don't continue to be you know, bad cyber actors in addition to being bad physical actors? Yeah, and that's, that's where uh, working closely with our, our partners and allies will become so critical, both in co coordination and uh, in information sharing, but also being ready to attribute violations of, of international norms in cyberspace, doing it collectively and, and also imposing costs in a timely manner. That's going to be the, the, the big thing going forward. So, you know, it, it's true that, you know, sanctions uh, make up, uh, you know, a lot of the toolbox uh, right now, but, you know, the, the key may be in, in, in really how we're, we're applying uh, the sanctions. So, you know, we also uh, make a, uh, uh, a difference in going uh, after uh, Russian proxies. That's the, that's the other thing that we can do, whether it's on a, a law enforcement side or it's a cyber side or uh, there are sanctions that, that can be opposed, imposed. You know, going after cyber criminal groups is, I think, is really, is really important. So, it, it, again, it takes a, a coordinated whole of nation approach, you know, not limiting ourselves just to one you know, one response, one entity doesn't just have to be just cyber. We, we can do a, a whole host of, of things. And I think that's important. And by the way, I, I think that, you know, we also look at, we can look at the, the facilitators uh, the, of, of the, the cyber criminal organizations, you know, the, the, the ISPs and if necessary, you know, you, it, we have to ratchet things up to make it uncomfortable for them to host some of the, these organizations, uh, uh, it, 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 the traffic on using their technology to, to conduct their, their ransomware attacks, I absolutely think we should look in that direction. I was just going to say, you think Ukraine has changed the calculation that much, that it's kind of made everyone sit up and take notice in a way they didn't have to before? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do on a whole host of fronts. And I'll start with the fact that uh, I can remember just a couple of years ago, we were debating whether or not we really needed such a big troop presence in, uh, in, in, in Europe, because, you know, you know, the Russians aren't going to be, you know, invading Europe anytime soon. So why do we need a, a big troop presence there? Well, I think that question has been answered. And clearly, you know, this is backfired on Vladimir Putin, where he thought he was going to divide and weaken NATO. It's had just the opposite effect to include now uh, we've got a more united NATO, more so than ever before, a strength in NATO. You have countries that are that are uh, you know, uh, now stepping up and beginning to fulfill their 2% commitment uh, toward uh, paying for their, their own defense and supporting NATO. You've got Finland that's uh, on the Russian border now asking to join NATO, Sweden. Uh, you, know, you have Sweden that has had a traditional neutral uh, you know, posture uh, now is, you know, has changed that and they have sided with uh, Ukraine and, and uh, your, you know, the uh, European allies and the United States and NATO. So, uh, and, and yeah, I think on, on cyber, it has definitely gotten everybody's uh, attention. I definitely think it has 
change the calculus quite a bit. And I think partners and allies are, are willing to work together more closely than ever before. And I think we understand clearly that it is a, a strong need to be able to uh, attribute bad actors uh, actions when they occur, call them out, and then narrow that gap between action and consequence and imposing whatever consequence will be uh, imposed doing it in a, in a timely manner. You can't, you can't wait you know, a, a year after a cyber incident happens to, to attribute and say that have a country take you seriously that that, that, that is the reason why you're imposing sanctions. So, yeah. so we, I agree. That was one of the frustrating things, even with NotPetya years ago, is that it was six months after it happened. And then when they did it, they said, and there will be consequences, undetermined sometime in the future, which is not exactly a, a strong message. But, you know, I, I agree. I think it really has strengthened alliances in cyber. Uh, one of the issues is there are countries who are friends, and I think there are more of them now, and it's, it's more unified. But there are countries who really need help. They're, they may be harboring some of these ransomware actors or cyber criminals or proxies, but they need help. And you mentioned capacity building a little, and I'm a little self-interested because I run this international capacity building group, uh, coordination group. But you know that seems to me, state has been pretty good at that in Ukraine and other places. So that seems to be another place where there needs to be more emphasis put. I, I'm not sure there's been the emphasis or, or resources devoted to that and trying to, you know, both help other countries, but also help win, you know, friends. Is that something that's on your agenda as well? Uh, it, it is. And that's why I, I think that the, I know that there will be, you know, much closer coordination between the State Department and, and U.S. Cyber Command, I believe, and, and, and in that capacity building. So, and, and in fact, that's something that we're, we're looking at. I've just, I've had discussions with the State Department, and there may be some, you know, some roadblocks to you know them in terms of dollars and what they can bring to the table and how they can facilitate capacity building. So if there if there are some artificial roadblocks so that they can you know more closely you know uh, work with our, our partners and allies and actually bring resources to the table. We want to be able to do that in terms of building cyber capacity. But I think you'll see closer coordination between state and cyber command and capacity building and it'd be more of a partnership. Uh, uh, with our, our our partners and allies going forward. How do you think that'll work? Because sometimes in the past, it hasn't worked so well. State, is, uh, Cyber Command sent people to state, at least two. They were kind of isolated. State used to have a political advisor at Cyber Command. I don't know if they still do. Those people all didn't always feel like they were part of the team. And I know some of them really well. What what do you think the options are for improving coordination between state and cyber command? Yeah, I, well, I, I definitely think that, you know, if they, uh, I believe that they do have a presence, but if they, if they don't, each should, you know, have a, a, a person in the other one's, you know, uh, offices so that there is that, that close coordination. But, you know, we expect, again, the Bureau of Cyberspace and Digital Policy to be uh, mm -hmm. a regular uh, communication with the uh, U.S. Cyber Command building uh, in uh, tools for regular engagement and uh, deconfliction of, of priorities. But uh, yeah, I think you know, having, having personnel in, in both departments is, is important. Yeah, so maybe. it's an opportunity to, you know, really to build that, that partnership with uh, the new bureau, you know, minus old conflicts. 
we used to have a uh, when I was there, we instituted a, every two weeks we had a, uh, a classified call with my counterparts over at DoD to make sure even if we weren't on the same page, we knew where we were coming from, which I thought was very valuable. Uh, and just that kind of that kind of structure, I think, helps. So hopefully, they'll agreed, agreed. Uh, you know, I think um, you know partnering with cybercrime is important. Obviously, state also has its own programs that sometimes, when you're in another country, you you don't want to have the military face. So right. one challenge has been getting uh, like USAID and some of the more development agencies. You mentioned all these differences in money and and burdens, but just make people start start thinking about cyber as a a real topic for development too, not just as a you know a security issue, uh, which might help free up some of the resources and, and get people to think more about this. No, I was just agreeing with with Chris. You know, again, this is it. It really is a capacity building opportunity, and you know, when when you know U.S. Cyber Command is sitting shoulder to shoulder with uh, you know our, our partners and allies uh, around the around the world and. You know, we are being transparent about, you know, the tools that we bring to expose, say, Russian bad actors on their networks. You know, this is this is important. And uh, and sharing that information, you know, they see what we see and, and you know, going forward, I, I think it's going to be essential. We build that kind of capacity. And, 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 again, and DHS, too. I mean, DHS has also been doing more international, which is good, I think. Yeah. So I think both Chris and I work a lot with uh, Dutch and... They, they've asked this question, where do we think it's appropriate to expand transparency on offensive cyber operations? And they believed, I was a little shocked at this, they believe the US is actually the most transparent when it comes to offensive cyber capabilities, which probably says something about the rest of the world. But <laughs> right. what, what, do you, what do you think about it, transparency when it comes to offense? Yeah, so, you know, I guess, you know, Part of that is in the, the realm of NSPM 13, um, mm-hmm. but others will be, you know, I, I guess when, you know, when, when Cyber Command is, is working with partners and allies and, you know, they understand the, you know, the capabilities that we can bring to bear and they see it in, in, in action. I think that it helps, you know, build trust, to build capacity. So, yeah, so... I'm going to be a little vague in that answer because I don't want to get into the realm of classified information. So I'm a little reluctant to go much further than than that. But uh, you know, I think I think we are pretty transparent, especially with partners and allies. And we want to we want to do that wherever we can. Is there a case for being even more transparent, even with our adversaries, to say, "Look, we're doing this to you. We're going to keep doing this to you until you stop." I mean, with OPSEC concerns, of course, but but being not simply you know, having this intel uh, mindset yeah. that they shouldn't know we're doing it because that doesn't really get you necessarily anywhere. Right. Well, uh, there, there again, I, I think there have been cases where, um, you know, we, we have made public our, our actions. Mm-hmm. So our enemies and adversaries realize, you know, you know, we, we, we got them and, you know, they um, made them uncomfortable, wasted a lot of their, uh, resources of tools and things that have been developed over you know over years and all of a sudden they're no good anymore because uh, they've been uh, exposed. So yeah, I I think that that's uh, you know I think that's a that's a good thing certainly to sometimes to let them know that you know exactly what we found and and, and what we've done and make them think twice. 
So part of the motivation for transparency is that the, you want to get public support. And when you when you talk to your voters, what do they do? They care about this. I mean, what do they say about cybersecurity? I mean, not yeah. You know, there's a Washington internal discussion, but then there's the broader nation, and that's what what do you see when you talk to them? Yeah, it's it's kind of typical of what has happened over the years, Jim, since you and I first met and back when I was one of the co-chairs of the CSIS commission and worked, you and I worked so closely together and Chris as well, that there was not much of an awareness before when we first mm-hmm. started this in 2007, 2008. And that has come a long way now, uh, mostly because unfortunately because of the high profile cyber attacks or intrusions that have taken place. And a lot of these things, each time it's a new wake up call, right? I mean, Colonial Pipeline, just by way of example, is probably mm-hmm. one of the biggest wake up calls that, mm-hmm. oh, wow, this can really, you know, cyber attack can really disrupt my life. Uh, and and uh, it can not only be a bad day for, you know, a particular company, but a whole, you know, bad day for the whole country when uh, a whole region of the country when, when there's a cyber attack that's carried out on, on something like a, a major gas pipeline. So, yeah, so this is, yeah, it's come a long way, and I'm, you know, I, I think you know that my constituents back home have a have a broader awareness of the cyber vulnerabilities. But you know, it's it's one of those things that I, I believe that you know, unless we continue to educate and remind people both of you know what they can do to protect themselves and and that it's that's a you know priority that it, it can it can fall off the radar and, and other, you know other things in life get in the way. I, I, I've been, as I'm explaining this, I'm, I'm thinking about, I remember being in the legislature when the 911 system was created. And as simple as we all you know, understood that to be, if you're focusing on it, uh, it was proven that unless you uh, had a, a kind of a public education campaign to explain you know, how 911 worked and, and um, you know, it's for emergencies, you pick up the phone, there's a problem in 911, and uh, and say what it's for, how it works. The public didn't necessarily get it. There really was a public education campaign that had to go on for quite some time. Now I think it's institutionalized in people's minds. But I would say that we still, that's one of the big areas in cyber that is still left undone. And, I, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to continue to work on that during my last uh, months in Congress to create a, a, a public education campaign on uh, for for cyber, I, I said we we have often said we need a, a smoking the bear campaign for 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 cyber, and only you can prevent cyber attacks. So you know this is how you protect yourself. What would that look like? I mean, what would it, it would be on smoking the bear? Very nice. And remember, there was what was it, Mick Mick somebody the cyber dog for a while too. So what would uh, what would you do? I mean, is it? What's yeah, a good I, way I, to yeah? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, we we I would I would. Put in the hands of a professional marketer, perhaps to, to design <laughs> the, the entity of you know who or what would be the kind of the representative. So we have something you know that gets you know seared in people's memories in the same way that Smokey the Bear uh, educates the you know people about preventing forest fires. And so you know we, we need some creative thing that, that gets kind of seared in people's minds. But then it's repetition, repetition, repetition. And 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 if we can you know just remind people of the basics. Um, you know, strong passwords and multi-factor authentication, encryption, you know, those types of things. And, and obviously updating your software, your security patches, um, don't click on the malicious links. You know, doing the, you know, the 
six or seven you know basic things will go a long way toward elevating people's uh, uh, public awareness. But and I have to say that CISA really does uh, good work in this uh, in this space as well. I mean that that's the whole Shields mm -hmm. Up campaign was was really all about that too. I was going to say as long as the mascot's not Clippy, which was a Microsoft thing that went. Oh out. yeah, uh, that but, was. But we, but it's funny. McGruff, we have, McGruff's the cyber dog. Also, one another ha, uh, has also ran. We, so we literally back in two thousand and eleven uh, or two thousand nine at the White House when I was there, we said these exact words, uh, uh, Congressman Benjamin. We said we should have a cyber Smokey the Bear campaign. And one of the most depressing things is looking at all the things we suggested over the years and reading all the cyber strategies and seeing how many things, unfortunately, we haven't gotten done. Um, but, but Smokey the Bear had an advantage in that he, uh, he didn't have liberties concerns, didn't raise uh, yeah. privacy concerns. And so how do, you, how do you deal with that when you get people, you know, even saying Russia now, there's unfortunately a minority of the population that that does, still amazingly doesn't believe that russia is a threat um, it does have a bear though <laughs> it does have yeah. a bear and so vladimir the bear that might be a good uh, a good possibility here but what how do you deal with the civil liberties concerns which come from both sides of the the spectrum yeah you know i like uh, i like uh, cyber the eagle maybe that's a uh, maybe that's our uh, uh, you know cyber um, entity for you know for educating people but yeah it, it, again uh we we try to educate in that being respectful understanding of the you know the, of the privacy and civil liberties concerns that you know uh, we try to make sure that that uh, we keep to the the, the technicals and and again that make this you know uh, more on the, the i guess the personal side of this is a um you know, important step to protect yourself uh, it's not anybody, you know, ordering you to do it. It's, you know, this is about how you protect yourself. So, you know, good, good question, I guess you'd say. Yeah, you know, uh, and it is, there, you know, you can, I think there are some people who think that, you know, uh, cybersecurity can be misused or maybe that's a concern. And, and so that's why it's, it's important to frame this in terms of a, a you know, public-private partnership as opposed to government coming and saying, you know, you know, we're with the government and we're to help you. Uh, this is, you know, we need to need to form this, you know, talk about this more about a partnership. But, uh, that always goes so over so well when you say that. So, uh. right. <laughs> so I, I wanted to maybe bring, you know, widen the aperture and go back to the international aspect uh, uh, a bit, which is, you know, you mentioned how it looks like, and we've all been around the block a, a number of times, that cyber is finally not, not always in the same direction, yes. but you know, a... <laughs> uh, that cyber, you know, one of the things that we've seen recently with ransomware and other things that in colonial pipelines that you, you mentioned wake up calls. We've had so many wake up calls, it's like we're walking in our sleep sometimes. But a lot of people think that the, this last year has been transformative. Uh, do you worry that this is just another temporary attention, as you said, before you lose, you know, lose interest in this again? And not just domestically, but internationally, there seems to be much more international awareness of this issue among our allies and partners and others than there has been before. Is that, can we sustain that? Because that's the only way we'll make progress. I think that we'll sustain it because cyber threats aren't going away anytime soon. And, and I think they're gonna to continue to be, be with us. And the more effective we are at, at, 
at dealing with it, the you know the uh, the you know better off we'll be. But part of it is, by the way, in our our education system, that's one area that's left undone. That also the two areas I say are kind of still left undone are in the the public awareness campaign, but also in, in, in instilling cyber in our and in our education system, K through 12 and, and, and beyond. So that's the other area. So that's, I guess that goes hand in glove also with, you know, public awareness campaigns, but, you know, thinking how the Israelis do it and they bake cyber in, you know, I, I think that's something to model that we kind of need to look at more closely. I will say this for the first time that I've been doing cyber for all these years, I finally believe that we have the right people and policies put in place that are going to get us to a place where we are much more cyber secure. We just need to now implement and execute those policies. Uh, and again, the executive order is a big part of that. You know, the, the work that NCD is doing that, the work that CISA is doing, we're, we're, we're really getting there in terms of the people and policies, uh, in terms of the key players, you know, on the battlefield. Like, uh, you know, I thought it was a loss when Chris's position uh, uh, and Chris departed State Department you know, we've rectified that now that wrong has been righted and, and with this new cyber bureau at, at state, MCD, uh, the director of CISA and the authorities and the resources they have, U.S. Cyber Command and, and uh, the work they did. So we have, a, we have a lot of good things going on in terms of the right key players. But now I'll say the other thing is, and, and this is right, the other, the third area that I would say we need to work on, it's the people. And Chris, you had pointed out this, uh, this earlier that, you know, you know, we can have the, all the, the best policies and, you know, positions in place, but if we don't have the right people uh, to, as, you know, to, to execute these, these policies, then, you know, we're, we're again, still swimming upstream. So there's so many cybersecurity jobs that still go unfilled. We need to, we need to fill that. So those, those three things, the, the people, uh, and in terms of getting the right people, uh, you know, downstream and throughout our cyber ecosystem in place, but then, uh, the awareness campaign and and and, and the education of, of cyber threats is important. So you you've been doing this for a while, and from your perspective, we're better off than we've ever been. I mean, we have uh, we're much yes. better positioned. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I say that without hesitation. Uh, looking back over the, the you know the more than a decade now that you know I've been involved with this, we've been involved with this. I, I feel that we are in a in a much better place. And again. Part of that is, you know, unfortunate. It's an unfortunate consequence of the cyber attacks or intrusions that have taken place, and now you know the public is is woken up to this, and it's on their radar as well as it is for you know our, our top national security experts as well. But uh, now it's you know continue to you know push the ball forward. We're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination just yet. And what would you say to our international partners? Because I think. There was a period where we really weren't leading, or at least the the it wasn't from the top being seen. The U.S. was driving the policy. There's a reason you know, we began leading the policy, then we stepped away, and now we appear to be back. So, so when you're talking to folks, and many we have many international listeners to this podcast. So, what would your message be to them in terms of what you see going forward from the U.S. perspective, in terms of their engage our engagement with them? Yeah. Well. Again, that goes back to, I, I think that's a, that's a great question and why this new bureau at uh, the State Department is so important because we did step away for a long time. We ceded um, you know, cyber issues to other countries and, and our 
enemies or adversaries were all too happy to step in uh, and 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 fill that uh, that that void, that vacuum that existed. And uh, now that that's uh, you know that has really that has really changed with the, the State Department now back on the scene and will be more proactive in these international uh, cyber policy making bodies uh, going forward. I would say that you know, cyber you know, really is uh, going to be a high diplomatic priority uh, with uh, this new bureau. And I think that it will be a welcome uh, change and addition to the scene by our, our, our partners and allies around the world. We've been really noble and we haven't asked you any questions about what you're going to do next or what you want to do in your last seven months or anything. I will skip them. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll get you back later after do a, a post facto and you can say all the things you don't have to say when you're not a responsible member of Congress. But, but I will <laughs> ask you that. I'll ask you this and you can decline to answer it now. You, know, you have been. Just go ahead and decline. Save some time. Will you? <laughs> you have been. And we, we don't say this lightly. I mean, you've really been the lion in Congress on this. You've been a leader for as long as I can remember. I, you know, there was very few other people who I mean, very, very few if any, really, who showed the kind of leadership or attention to this issue early on and, and consistently. Consistently, consistently. It's incredibly important to this community and to this issue, I think. As you're leaving Congress, you know, how are you leaving it? I mean, I'm not how are you leaving it, like, you know, physically, but you're, you're <laughs> leaving this Congress. Is it better off than it was in terms of its cyber knowledge, its cyber expertise? Are the members, both in, in your chamber and the Senate, are they more savvy than they were? Because that was always a big, um, a big hill to climb before, and, and you were the champion. But there weren't a lot of, uh, a lot of people who were following that lead in the early days. Thank, thanks for the question. And I, you know, I, I've been honored to work on on these cyber issues for, uh, for all these years. And you know, when I came on the scene and I came across these uh, the, the vulnerabilities, you know, I recognized that no one else was working on them, and it was a void. And and it's a rare opportunity to make a difference in a, in a huge way for the, your, your, your country and be able to work on a, just a critically important national and economic security issue, but probably the biggest right now, maybe would argue the biggest national and economic security challenge of our time. But I will say that, uh, yes, that's the other thing I, and I should have mentioned this earlier on that, you know, the, both the public has become more aware of the cyber threats we face and that we need to do more to close that aperture of vulnerability, but so have it members of Congress. Absolutely, and I believe that their their awareness is is far greater than, than what it was. But like anything, uh, you know, it takes constant uh, engagement, repetition, and uh, education. And uh, you know, I and I hope that others will will take up the the, the mantle and continue the the charge working on on cyber. And uh, you know, I hope to stay engaged somehow or another and, and put my uh, talents and expertise in cyber to work in the and somehow in the private sector somewhere. But uh, I just know that it, it won't involve getting on an airplane every week. That's uh, <laughs> to kind of answer your, your question, uh, Jim, in a way, you know, in, in a way I you know, still, uh, still figure out what I'm going to do next. But um, it's been an honor and a privilege to serve and to work on such a you know, critically important issue for the, the country. And I've had you know, great help along the way, Jim Lewis included, uh, Chris Painter. Yeah, thank you both for the work that you have done on the issues of cyber and helping to keep me educated and up to speed on the challenges that we face. Uh, my staff. Uh, and many amazing staffers over the over the years that I've been working on this. Obviously, CSIS has been a critical partner in all this, and I thank them for their uh, their work and uh, just you know a, a number of you know important people and 
entities that have worked in partnership with, with me and our team on this. So I've had a lot of help along the way and I'm grateful. Did we miss anything? I didn't ask you about the connection to the Strategic Forces Committee you're on, and we may not have time, but that's sort of, a, when we started doing this, remember it was, you put you put Cyber, Cyber Command under Stratcom and now it's become its own entity. So how much did that inform your thinking, the fact that you were also doing the a lot of the Strategic Forces stuff? Yeah, I, I thought it was the right move to you know, make uh, Cyber Command its own entity right now and headed by a four star. I think that's, uh, you know, that's really, that's really important. So I, I, again, that was another, you know, a needed and, and welcome change. Uh, and you, you know, you've seen our cyber capabilities mature, both, you know, in the, the, the military side, but also on the, you know, on the civilian side, I, is it why, I, you know, it goes back to what I said. I, I think we right now are in a very good place, much better than what we were with the right key players in, involved and, and, you know, again, my kind of crowning achievement as I leave Congress and why I feel, you know, I feel relieved that uh, we were able to finally create the National Cyber Director. That would have been a really big void uh, had we not uh, created yeah. that position. I would have felt really bad about leaving if that were the case. But I can leave now with good conscience, know that we've you know, created a, a key position and it's staffed by, a, you know, a stellar individual, uh, Chris Inglis, and a great confidence in his abilities and, and the team he's assembled around him, and now, you know, the, the state and, and you know the, the bureau that they create. I'd love to see the the Cyber Diplomacy Act, uh, you know, passed and signed into law. That will be another thing that I'll be working on very intently as we go forward. But you know, this is going to give us to, this presence on an international stage to look at, you know, international cyberspace security. Uh, again, work with partners and allies uh, on norms, attribution, and capacity building working on in, in, in international information and communications policy. I think that's important. And, and you know, also uh, digital freedom, protecting uh, human rights, you know, online and in concert with civil society. So those are the things that I think the Bureau will be working on and, you know, look forward to following their progress. That was a pretty good note to end. Any final thoughts? Did we miss anything? I think we covered a, uh, covered a lot. I, I, I do... I do want to, you know, give a shout out to uh, Jennifer Bacchus, uh, the, the the senior uh, bureau officer, the officer that's currently running the bureau right now. Uh, I had a recent conversation with her, and I thought uh, she's outstanding. You know, I'm highly confident that uh, she's up to the task of of running the bureau until an ambassador at large can be selected and confirmed. I'm grateful okay. that she's there. Yeah, and thank you for doing this, and and again, thank you for all you've done too. I mean, yeah. you're you're a you're a hero of ours and you still, you'll continue to be. You are a hero of ours. We're not kidding on that one. Other stuff we kid about, but this one, no, in some ways I was going to say irreplaceable. That's probably true, but you know, you left us in a much better place than we started. Thank you. I hope that's true. And and I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity.